Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Scott Waterman. Coach Waterman is the head coach at Academy of Art University. We talked to him today about preparing for adversity, establishing your network, and that we should never pass up an opportunity within the game of basketball. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Mike, hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to... uh to have the invitation to come out and speak with you today and um really looking forward to talking some hoops and uh basketball uh culture coach i really appreciate your time and and making the time to be with us i'm just excited for what's going on here i i think your perspective is really valuable uh here again i've gone down the line of everything you, you your experience and whatnot and I feel like it's it's just like everybody else that's come on. It's valuable to get different perspectives. So uh, so moving forward, Coach, how were you introduced to the game of basketball? Oh, I was introduced at a at a real young age. Um, my dad was a uh, was a teacher and coach, and I would say uh, from the time I was coming out of the womb, I knew what a basketball was and. Uh, remember going, or I don't remember, but I've been told that when my dad was coaching, even when I was a little baby, I would go to practice with him and sit over on the sidelines. And um, So I was immersed with it at, at a very young age. And I remember starting to play organized basketball about the third grade. Um, and then, uh, you know, just continued to play through my youth and uh, played AAU through middle school and then got into the high school rank. So um, it started at a real young age, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a dad who was a coach and kind of taught me the, the basic skills and fundamentals, and uh, that's that's how it all started. Wonderful, Coach. Back when AAU, you had to fill out a card and check what sports you wanted to be a part of, right? Yeah, yeah. really different <laughs> a- AAU culture then. It was, yeah. You only played basketball. uh yeah, you know, and during basketball season, and then you yeah. would play, you know, football or baseball in the fall and spring. And yeah. I played volleyball in the spring as well to, uh, you know, kind of help my basketball. Even though I wasn't a great jumper by any means, so that kind of flamed out fast. But it was <laughs> it was an era where it was uh, where you played multiple sports, and I think that yeah. in today's kind of sports culture, we've kind of lost touch with that. With everybody trying to excel in the sport that they're in. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, it's kind of taken away some of the passion and, you know, some of these kids kind of will experience some burnout at the time. So I think parents have to be real careful. But I think one of the best things I did was playing different sports. And yeah. uh, I wasn't the, the best athlete by any means, but it was just great to have different uh, social uh, groups from each sport. And yeah. just being able to take those skills and translate them uh, from one thing, uh, one sport to the other was, was invaluable. At, the, at that time in my youth, so I um, know it was a really, uh, really good growing up being around. So I think one thing it teaches coaches the competitiveness when you play multiple sports. You learn how to be competitive in different settings, 
and, and not just, you know, or you can, you're super competitive in one sport. You can take that competitive drive to another. I think yeah. That's... And I would agree, agree with you on that. And I think the one thing that, you know, kind of gets lost in that shuffle today is when we played growing up, you know, we'd go to the outdoor courts and play three on three, four on four, two on two, whatever. One-on-one, if it was just you and a buddy, and you would compete against each other. But now everything, especially on the basketball side, you know, I'm not as familiar with other sports, but um, everything is so competitive in a team environment all the time. And I think that just being able to go play and be competitive um, just in an informal setting does drive that uh, a different type of competitiveness within you. Definitely. So what level did your dad coach at? Uh, he was a high school uh, high school coach. He coached uh, freshman in JV basketball. Wonderful, wonderful. Just thought I'd ask, man, because my next question <laughs> is, uh, who influenced you to get into the coaching profession? Um, well, obviously, you know, my dad. Um, from the very, you know, beginning, I saw him coach, and I probably denied it a lot at the beginning of wanting to really get into the coaching profession. Um, and wanting to go different avenues with, you know, potentially medical school or um, something like that as I was growing up. And um, But seeing the impact my dad had, not just on the court, but as we'd be roaming around Southern California and he'd bump into a former uh, player or, uh, you know, colleague and uh, just the excitement that that brought him really, uh, really probably set the basis for, uh, you know, me getting into coaching and seeing that constantly kind of always linger within me. But uh, I mean, I have a list of mentors that, that's long. I mean, Todd Dixon and Tim Travers. Uh, Todd Dixon was my high school coach, and he gave me the opportunity to coach right after high school graduation. And Tim Travers was the freshman coach who I worked along with and learned a ton from those, uh, both those guys on just the, the very basics of coaching. Uh, Brian Newhall, who was my coach at Art when I played at Occidental College, Division Three school in Los Angeles. Um, I owe an immense, 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 immense amount of uh, thank yous to for all he did for me and pushing to be, me to be a player and, and really pushing me to get into the coaching world as I graduated um, college and giving me the opportunity um, to be almost a player coach. I, again, I was more of a role player on the team. I wasn't anything great. I was probably your ninth, tenth man. Um, but uh, I, I think I garnered the respect of the guys on the team just because I had a great knowledge of the game. And uh, Coach Newhall looked to me to, uh, you know, be like a player coach of, of sorts. So I owe him a ton of credit. And then uh, Larry Reynolds, who gave me my first college job, um, I worked with him for five years at Long Beach State. Uh, Bob Burton, who I worked for at, uh, at Cal State Fullerton for five years. Uh, then Andy Newman, my last year at Cal State Fullerton, was the head coach. Then having the chance to work with Charles Katsikafikis at Pomona Pitzer, uh, Dave McLaughlin at Dartmouth, and then Booker Harris at Dominican. Um, every one of those guys has mentored me in some way and giving me uh, something that I've taken into my now first head coaching job at Academy of Arts this year. And I'm incredibly excited to, to take all the things that I've taken from all those guys and programs and seen. And it, that's who I am is because of those 
eight, nine guys that I just mentioned right there. And um, I couldn't be where I am without them. That's fantastic, Coach, to be able to to uh, say that out loud and be, you know, so genuine about, you know, how you got to where you got. I've, I've heard people say that all the time. You didn't get to where you got alone. And there's so much truth to it because we can all look back and say, you know, even if it was a conversation with somebody that interjected some kind of wisdom and, and then all of a sudden this light just went bing and we had a eureka moment. <laughs> yeah. it, it almost changes the course of our maybe our lives at times because, you know, life's a series of decisions. And uh, yeah. sometimes we do need that counsel, wise counsel, to make those type of decisions. Uh, you talked about Pomona Pitzer. Uh, down here in San Antonio, we've got a coach who was out there. Uh, maybe you've heard of him, uh, <laughs> Greg Popovich, man. That's, that's uh, you know, I knew about Pomona Pitzer because he wore a T-shirt one time and, Every, yep. everybody's trying to figure out where, what, where, where's this at? What's that? Where, you know, you know, who's he repping, if you will. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, pop has such a, I don't know, such an aura about him here in, in San Antonio. Like people are just like, you know, at awe of him, but at the end of the day, he is just a down to earth type guy. And I think his humble beginnings at places like Pomona Pitzer has helped him to really stay level-headed when people are calling him the greatest coach of all time, stuff like that. So kind of the same situation for you, Coach, as far as where you started, where, where you've been, and, and now where you're at as a head coach. Uh, what was the transition like from from each level uh, to where you are now and saying, like, you know, you've been a dobo, you've been an associate head coach a couple times, you know, all those all those experiences now. How how did each stop transition to where you are now? Like how did that help? Oh well, I think uh, it's it's incredibly beneficial because I've been hands on and done everything. You know, as you start off as a director of basketball operations, you're doing paperwork. You're understanding all the background of what goes on behind the scenes in the program that no one knows about. You know, you're, you may be booking flights, you may be coordinating meals, you, uh, dealing with liaison to admissions, academics, uh, fundraising, your, your, your hands are in everything, um, but you're just limited on the coaching and recruiting front. So you get to, to understand how the, how the pro, how to run a program essentially, um, under the leadership of a head coach. Then you're an assistant coach and now, you're more hands-on with the recruiting and the basketball, um, you know, scouting day in and day out. That's kind of your life. And uh, when I was the associate head coach, the you know, at Pomona Pitzer and then um, at Dominican these past two years, I really felt like my voice was heard even more. Um, you know, Coach Harris, uh, who's the head coach of Dominican, gave me a phenomenal opportunity to really, uh, you know, be a coach and really let my thoughts and uh, things uh, of that nature come out on a day in and day out basis. And it really, he helped me grow to, to be a head coach. So I can't, you know, thank him enough for giving me those opportunities, but in each stop, I think the most important thing is I was a learner and I took whatever the head coach wanted and was able to quickly translate it over into how I need to do things to, help them function more effectively, be it 
how they wanted to travel book to how they wanted to guard a ball screen to um, everything in between. So um, it's just a, you know, I feel like you have to be a learner. You have to have your eyes open. You can't go in with that closed mindset. You have to have a growth mindset and um, know that every day uh, you're going in with the thought process of, uh, I'm going to get better today. You ne- I, I feel like in my 17 years of coaching, no two days are ever the same. Yeah, You never know what may come across your play, be it with a player, a coaching staff, academic, who knows what may happen. Yeah. And I think that's what excites me every day is you get to the office and you can have one game plan going in of the day and uh, at 6 o'clock that night you haven't touched it, but you're dealing with another things that are more exciting um, and who knows what, what those are, but every day is just really, really awesome. And I can say that I've never truly worked a day in my life. Awesome, Coach. A lot of moving parts when it comes to programs and, the, and from level to level. Uh, sometimes those moving parts become more, uh, I don't know, you know, magnified because there's so many people that you're relying on to get things done, not just yourself, not just your immediate staff. But people like you were talking about, academic people, your, uh, you know, your officers, everybody, your compliance people, all that. That's a lot of that's a lot to have on your plate to kind of manage because it's your program now. You know, as a head yeah. coach, it's your program. It's you know, it all comes back to you. Uh, your athletic directors needing some answers at times too. I mean, so it's it's a uh, it's pressure, but I think at the same time, it's a privilege. Uh, and, and I think that's where we thrive as coaches, as uh, leaders, as, you know, everything that we can be for a program and for an institution like, like you are for, for yours. Uh, so I, I wanted to know because I saw somewhere that you're part of the Jewish, Jewish Coaches Association. Uh, mm-hmm. what, yeah. what, what, what is the mission and the goal there with that association in particular? You know, it, it's really funny because I probably started, you know, going to the meetings and we only meet once a year at the final four. Um, and I probably started going, you know, 14, 15 years ago and I had no expectations uh, of, of what it would be. I didn't, I thought I was the only Jewish coach in America to be perfectly honest, <laughs> but um, it is really, uh, and, and at the time we had a family friend that knew, uh, Bernie Fine, who is the associate head coach at Syracuse, and he was the one that kind of oversaw it, and our family friend kind of encouraged me to go to it. And probably, you know, the first few meetings, there were probably 15 to 30 coaches there. And, you know, it was a smart office, a small little group, and uh, now I would say there's probably 200 that show up uh, year in and year out at the Final Four of all levels, all sorts of backgrounds, and it's been a phenomenal sounding board uh, just for, you know, being open, meeting new people, getting new ideas. I've called, you know, members or friends from that group to get ideas of things, go watch their practices. Um, And uh, it's just, it continues to grow and grow. And, um, you know, the Jewish community in general, the United States is such a minute population. Yeah. Um, But having this bond, uh, amongst yourselves and something that's so common. Um, you know, I've had guys call me out of the blue and, um, you know, that I don't know, but they say, Hey, I saw you, you're Jewish or I saw you at the 
Jewish coaches meeting at the final four. I would love to pick your brain on some things and maybe to see guys getting in. And I would drop everything for those, those guys just because of the, the bond we have together. Yeah. Tight knit group. And that's, uh, yeah. that's awesome coach that you kind of have a, you know, I think we're all, some of us are looking for, I would say all of us, cause that wouldn't be true, but a lot of us are looking for different, uh, groups to really come in, in contact with and a community with, cause I, I'm a big community guy and I love community and however I can build community, whether it's through, you know, religion, ethnicity, whatever it may be, uh, especially for coaches where we can kind of lean on each other, get support uh, here again, like you talked about, just getting ideas from each other. Uh, there's nothing like that. It really isn't. It's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of, uh, just a, there's power in numbers all the time, uh, and when you're you're, you're together uh, for one goal, one cause, and, and you can relate, man, that's that's a great situation to be in. And uh, yeah, and I think like you take sorry to cut you off there, right. Mike, that's but good. but a guy like Bruce Pearl, yeah. who who kind of is kind of the figurehead of the group now. Um, this is a guy who last year was in the final four Saturday morning. Is a Jewish coaches meeting. Yeah, he's playing that night. He did a shoot around at whatever nine to ten a.m. and then came over to this meeting just to say hello for five minutes. But that's how important it was to him. And he's he's a guy that every year openly invites anybody who wants to come down to watch his team's practice. And we're talking about a top, you know, power five coach who. Yeah who could be, you know, very, you know, you know, not down to earth or not wanting to be open to anybody. And this guy comes and he's willing to do all that stuff. And it just, it's a, he's a great role model for all of us. Yeah. uh, Jewish coaches and, uh, you know, has done a, done a great, great job for the entire group. Coach Pearl, genuine as they come, love him or hate him. Uh, You know, and, and I think that's what a lot of people, sometimes have a problem with with coaches is they see a persona on TV or in the media guide or whatever, you know, and they think yeah. they, they think they know you. And and, uh, and I'm, that's why I'm glad we're doing this as well, this podcast. I think it's uh, humanizing those who may be over-glorified or demonized in, in their programs. And I feel like it's giving, it's giving a voice and, and putting a, a voice to a face and a story to a face because, uh, and that's every human being. Everybody's got a story. So, yeah, no, I, Co- Coach Pearl, I've heard tons of great things about him. Uh, and then he's a fiery guy. And, and I just – that's the kind of coach I wish I was. I'm not as fiery. I don't know if I can have that kind of energy for a ball game. But uh, definitely uh, we'll work on that. Maybe maybe not to the detriment of my team, but for the, uh, for the encouragement <laughs> of my team. So, yeah. Coach uh, – what kind of culture do you look to build? You know, you're talking about now as a head coach at the Academy of Art. What kind of culture do you look to build and to make sure that you get the right fit uh, for incoming players? Because, they, you know, that's part of the whole deal when recruiting uh, a player is that they know it's the right fit for them. How do you go about that? Well, it starts in the recruitment process, and I'm really big on, on relationships, and I want – relationships with with my players to be really strong um and then, uh, like i've told every kid that we recruited and all the kids that i inherited 
Um, this isn't a one, two, three year deal. This is a 40 year deal between me and you. So we're going to get to know each other. I want you to be able to call me 10, 20 years from now. And it could be, Hey coach, how you doing? Or, Hey coach, I need a reference. And, and that's how it all starts. It starts with me and my staff building relationships with each of these guys on a, not just basketball level, but a personal level. Um, you know, is a, you're a parent and you want your kids to go somewhere where you know that they're going to be taken care of and looked after. And when issues come up that you're not around, that someone can be there to help take care of them and mentor them and get them ready. And that's how I want to build my culture. It all starts about that relationship. And as we, as I've recruited in the past, you know, whatever, however many years I've actually recruited, you know, there's been guys that I just don't get that none of my relationship doesn't jive with them at the beginning and yeah. they're not going to be good fits for me me to work with and um, those aren't guys that I want to work with but guys that you know are, are bought in are going to have me and them will have strong relationships and um, they're going to you know come in and they're going to understand the principles and values that I have meet them and uh, you know we're going to work together to achieve the highest goal fantastic coach yeah because I think year to year, you know, depending on how the movement of your players, you know, things can change. And uh, but you have to here you go. You set a 40 year deal. And from year to year, you know, people's feelings change. Feelings about each other may change. But, yeah. if, you, but if you get the right guy and the right fit, man, that that definitely makes it a, a more comfortable situation. It's when that uncomfortability kicks in. Like, I know we talk about being comfortable with being uncomfortable, but not when it comes to relationships. I don't think that it applies to that. Uh, you know, I was watching a, a documentary, docuseries with the Raiders, and they're talking about, you know, coach says, you know, when you get a guy who you really want to coach in, it's a great thing. When you get a guy who really doesn't want to be there, it's like pulling teeth, you know, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about is just – not 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 connecting with people and knowing maybe that you are a great connector of uh, of people and relationship builder that's always got to be tough so I, I just think you know here again coach the way you build culture from year to year has to be kind of based on uh where you've been your experiences uh what what culture or what you know, where did you learn about culture with which staff or, or with which coach? Wow. Well, I think, you know, it's, I've learned something from every, every coach I've been with, good or bad, on, uh, on how to do it and what works, what doesn't work. And it's uh, ideally finding what, what you value the most and yeah. getting your players to buy into that. And uh, I think that buy-in comes in the recruitment process is you have to be upfront and forward about what you want. And they're going to know if they meet those expectations or not. And if they don't meet them, then they're probably not going to want to go play for you. And yeah. that's, that's fine. We want, we want guys at Academy of Art or when I was at Dominican that are, or wherever else I've been in my past, they're going to understand the culture that's been established, buy into it and continue to build and grow it. And I think, you know, one of the most difficult things will be this year where I'm essentially taking now 15 guys and creating a new culture versus, you know, where 
the following year, we're going to have seven, eight, nine, ten guys returning who already understand it. And now the new guys yeah. can come in and immerse with these, with those new guys or with the returners already know and are expecting the expectations are. But now, you know, I, when I took the job, we had three or four workouts and started to set the standard of what things are going to be like. But now come September 5th or whenever we start practice, now it's going to be really implementing it from day one and holding guys accountable. And uh, that accountability isn't to be the bad guy, but it's to uphold the standard because with these guys play basketball, hopefully beyond Academy of Art, hopefully when they get into the workforce and the ball stops bouncing, we've set them up with a culture of accountability and discipline. So when they go to these next levels in their life, being a father, being a parent, uh, being a good husband, that they've created a good, uh, we've set the bar for them of what the expectations are, not just on the basketball floor, but in life. Fantastic, Coach. I like what you're saying there uh, because most of us, when we're coaching young people, there's going to be a future for them. Uh, I know we can say, well, you never know what tomorrow holds. Yeah, but I, I prefer to be optimistic. And, uh, and yeah, I, without question. <laughs> so I think about the future with these, with these young people because they always come back. One, yeah. maybe, maybe not all of them together, but they come back and they talk about their lives and what's going on in it. And you would hope that you don't hear a story about something that maybe you could have said something to maybe help them not have to go through. Like life's hard enough as it is. If we can, like you said, prepare these guys for a um, not an easy route because there's no such thing, but an easier how to how to navigate through things with just a different mindset. I think we're doing them a, a huge. We're doing them. We're doing our due diligence in that, and I think that's no that's great. I love I love your perspective on that, Coach. So, when it comes to what you do now, especially as a head coach, uh, how do you process feedback or even criticism? Well, I think it goes back to kind of that growth mindset that you have. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, you have to be really willing. You have to be a good listener. And you have to be able to take what people say and not internalize it as being against you, but how you can help yourself grow. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think one of the things I'm learning as a head coach is you have to make a decision. Um you know, sometimes, you know, you take that feedback and you're willing to go with it and change it. And there's other things that, you know, you really want to hold yourself to. And you have to find that fine line about which way you want to go on different things. And um, that, you know, that, that makes it tough. But I think the one thing that I've really gotten a lot better at is taking messages, good or bad, and getting to the bottom of it. Not taking the tone, not taking... Uh, how it's said, but getting right down to the crux of, all right, this is what I'm being told, good or bad, what adjustments do I need to make, do I need to, how do I process this, getting the bigger picture, because obviously we see things from one perspective, but you have to factor in how others see things too, because it's, again, world of communication. We have to do a great job communicating, and if as a head coach, I can't get my guy, if I don't have, let my guys have a say, uh, on some things and get their feedback, then things can go implode really fast because they're playing for you. Um, but I feel that, you know, I've told uh, the guys on the team, the returners, as we 
we started off my tenure at Academy of Art. I have an open door policy. I want to know what you guys like, what you don't like. You guys have a voice. I get to have the final decision, but I want to know what you guys think. What we think about practice? Is it too long? Do we need to take a day off here? These are all things that help me make you guys better. So I have to have an open mind, and I can't be closed minded. Uh, most importantly, to to voices that uh, are coming in. And same thing with my administration. Our, uh, you know, eight athletic director there at Academy of Art, uh, you know, gives me feedback. Then I have to, obviously, he's my boss. So I need to adjust appropriately to when they say things. So, um, it, it, you know, it's it's a give and take relationship, but you have to be open to learn and not take it personal when you're told something. Fantastic, Coach. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I like what you talked about, tone, uh, taking the tone out of it, because that is probably the most, uh, some people don't know how to approach you at times. And and in there, for better or for worse, they want things to get better. They just don't know how to talk about it, communicate it. And like you talked about, being a great listener, being an, an intentional listener, uh, you know, listening with your ears and your eyes. And that's that's it's easy to kind of take out the tone when you see when somebody's just kind of besides themselves, if you will, or yeah. or nervous or afraid to you know kind of uh, confront you or. You, you just you, you can see it if you see it and you know how to read read a room read a person or however you want to look at it uh, that that's really really helpful so great points coach on, on how to process those things so given here again your 17 years of experience and then and even prior to that what have you learned about yourself during your career oh that's uh great I've learned a lot of things um First and foremost, I've learned how to be a basketball coach. Um, I've learned about how to interact with people. That as much as it is the X's and O's, yeah. it's about how you can translate that message to others. And everybody's different. Yeah. And you you may have to coach one guy hard, one guy soft, and you have to figure out what makes each guy tick. So yeah. um, going back to that relationship part, that's why I like to get to know our guys really well, and I'm upfront and I ask them. How do you want to be coached? What What's going to make me get the most out of you? Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, uh, adversity and obstacles. Um, coaching is a rough profession. I've been on the, the wrong side of, uh, uh, of being unemployed three times. Wow. And it was, you know, each time you just got to put your nose to the ground and uh, know that something's waiting and you just use your network, you call, you can't give up. And there's been, there were times where I thought about it. I'm like, I've got to be able to do something uh, yeah. that's a little bit more sane in my life. And, um, <laughs> sane. Wow. Uh, and uh, but no, I just kept my nose to the ground and some, some the opportunities come. And um, I'm so grateful that I've got my great family, wife and parents that wouldn't let me give up and, continue to push me and uh, help me through those tough times. And, um, but I've learned so much about myself and being in those situations has prepared me for when adversity is going to come in games during practices, during the course of a five month season, all those things, all that adversity has helped make me a better person. I've been on winning teams. I've been on losing teams and how you handle adversity day in and day out has been established as a coach. 
through these experiences. And then I think the third thing is, um, and this is great for young coaches, is continue to establish your network and get to know as many people as you can and never pass up an opportunity um, in the basketball world. And I, I can say that I'm incredibly fortunate that because of my network and because of a few opportunities I didn't pass up, I'm able to get to where I am today. And I look back and, for example, uh, I'll just use this one. When I went from Pomona Pitzer to Dartmouth, I had gone out on a recruiting trip to Boston and could have done anything on this random day. I was out there waiting to go see a recruit. And I went to see Northeastern practice. The associate head coach at Northeastern was Dave McLaughlin, who became the head coach at Dartmouth. And we had a 15-minute conversation that day. And that conversation allowed me to get to know him. And when he got the job at Dartmouth, wasn't was very helpful in helping me get on his staff. Wow. Only because I picked up the phone that day in Boston and went to watch a Northeastern practice, a team I knew nothing about. Yeah. I could have done anything else that day. I could have gone on a duck boat tour. I could have gone on. Got a cup uh, of chowder you know, somewhere. Tr- yeah. Yeah. yeah a chowder, <laughs> a freedom trail. Yeah. Gone to the Celtics game. Who knows? But I went and did that. And all of a sudden it helped me get get a job and you just never know who you may meet at any point in time that can help you and um or who may know somebody that could help you so yeah being being able to go do basketball things and never pass up basketball opportunities is huge and just getting to know people staying in contact with them it doesn't have to be you know every day talk 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 but you know just an occasional note text phone call Stand in touch with people because at the end of the day, who knows? That person could end up being a head coach and looks to hi- looking to hire someone like you that they're uh, that you may fit the qualities they're looking for. Yeah, great points, coach. I mean, that's uh, great advice for young coaches, even for the coaches still that are kind of uh, look, finding trying to find their way. Uh, go back and I, what I do, coach, is it's one of my practices is that I. I try to text every single coach that I know that has children on Father's Day, and I and, mm-hmm. I, and I wish them a happy Father's Day. I'll I'll spend maybe three, maybe more than three hours, texting each individual that I have in my phone, each coach, and just you know, hey, happy Father's Day, and just kind of stay in in uh, their you know out of out of sight, out of mind, like they say, in their in their mind's eye, I'm there, and because I genuinely hope they do have a happy Father's Day, but it's also kind yeah. of like, hey, look, this is how you can stay in it. This is how you, you know, that's how this podcast started. Uh, if I didn't have those connections with these coaches, I would have never thought to do this. And uh, and thus it's kind of begat a, uh, you know, another network, and which is great. And so, yeah, great points of emphasis as far as networking, never passing up an opportunity. Uh, because, yeah, my dad always taught me if somebody offers it, an opportunity comes up, they offer an opportunity to just take it and figure the rest out later. And, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I, great stuff, Coach. So we talk uh, we talk on the show about uh, sacrifice, and and uh, and I think it's really important because even as especially as a head coach, uh, to to be at this point, uh, I think we look back and say, how did I get here? Uh, 
how did this happen? You know, and we think of all the nice and fuzzy, warm things, but we also get to kind of also re, re, uh, recollect on, hey, what did I have to give up to be here? What were the, some of the things that I, man, I just had to say, nope, I can't do that. Nope, I will not do that. Sorry, honey, I got to be out. What what kind of sacrifices have you made to be where you're at and to do what you do? Um, I think obviously, first and foremost, right there on the head with my wife and my family, there's been times that I've had to sacrifice, uh, you know, date nights or family time or yeah. uh, birthdays of family members being on the road or uh, practice um, and uh, holidays, um, traveling, playing. So that's obviously a huge sacrifice uh, you have to give up. Um, and uh, it's difficult because you're sitting there, you know, for example, we played a game in Hawaii on Christmas one year. And, wow. Um, you, you know, my wife celebrates Christmas and I'm in Hawaii playing on that day and we're not together. And that's more about her, obviously. Uh, yeah. You know, I celebrate Hanukkah, but uh, being with her on Thanksgiving, having a game at the Anaheim Classic and not being able to spend time with my family and having them come watch a basketball game, you feel guilty that you're taking them away from what, they're doing or yeah. what they should be doing to come watch a game so obviously there's that family dynamic that, that's really tough and it's all about finding a proper balance and being able to uh you know manage it and making time when you do have time and i think one of the things that uh you know when i've been able to take my wife well she'll go recruit with me at times on weekends or nights just it's it's our little date night and we'll go to dinner beforehand and then uh, you know, go watch a game, and that's the way that at least we can have time together. And then, obviously, making time in the off season to kind of make up for all those times during the year. And then the other thing that you know, there's been sacrifices of salary, and how are we going to make this work? And yeah. um, you know, starting off my first two years in coaching, I didn't earn a dime. Yeah. You know, I was working for free, and um, you know, you have to do it to kind of get your foot in the door and. Um, it all will pay off in the end and you have to believe in the process. I know the Sixers, you know, with that trust the process model that's become trendy, you really do. And I'm just know that good things are going to come. And, um, you know, when I left Dartmouth to go to Dominican, it was salary wise, it was a drop in salary, but just more opportunity. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. So, you know, you weigh the pros and cons and, um, just know that when you take that step and make that sacrifice, you're doing it for the right reasons and the outcome is going to be there down the line. Who knows what it is, or what it may be, but yeah. if you do it and you're bought into it yourself then good things will come. Definitely coach. I like what you said about the process. Uh, I've, I've kind of picked up this idea that, you know, between, you know, the promise of maybe one day becoming something really great, so between that first kind of idea of what you want to become and then actually the promised land when you get there, between those two is the process, you know. So I think mm -hmm. that's, that's so huge because we, we love the beginning and the end of any kind of endeavor uh, because we're excited about the beginning and obviously we're excited about reaching our destination. But uh, I think in that middle, the, the, the middle of that is the process. And so, so huge for coaches at all levels to understand that uh, even though it's a cliche, even though I hear it from some of the people that so I've heard of a lot of time for people who have no idea what a process is, 
but it's <laughs> but it's so catchy. Um, yeah. The reality is that for most of us, we live that process out, and I think that's where you grow the mo- most as well, and that's where you learn the most, and that's where you're most effective is in the process. And so, you know, great point about the process, Coach, because I, I think it's uh, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's not just a, a term, and so. Uh, although you are, you know, been coaching for 17 years, you're, you're like me, a spring chicken at the tender age of 39. And, uh, so yeah, we've got a long ways to go in this coaching game, in in my opinion, uh, and hopefully for yourself as well. What do you want your legacy to be coach, uh, to be, even though you're laying out the foundation and in the road for it right now, what do you want it to be when your career is all said and done? Um, you know, obviously I want to, you know, win games, win championships and do all that stuff. But really that's, that's really important to me. Um, but it's secondary to mentoring and making young men turn into even better adults and people professionals. Um, like I go back to what I was talking about and I hate harping on it, but the relationships, that's what it's all about. I still talk with guys from all my teams that, uh, you know, be it on a Father's Day, a holiday, uh, just random phone call just to say hello. And those relationships really, you know, identify with. And what I, the reason why I got into coaching from the very beginning kind of goes back to what I was saying with my dad when we would bump into one of the swarmer players. You know, that's the most meaningful part. And uh, obviously enhancing the student-athlete experience by winning games and championships is, uh, is that next, uh, you know, right, if there's 1A and 1B, the relationships being, you know, 1A and championships and winning games 1B. So um, that's kind of the legacy I want to lay out. And um, that's what what the uh, program we're building at Academy of Arts is going to be, be about. Wonderful, Coach. I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, we talked about the sacrifices and making time for things. I'm so thankful that you made time to be on. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed our time together, and and I look forward to keeping up with what your your progress is here and, and whatnot. So I, I thank you so much. Oh, Mike, thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, I've listened to, you know, more recently started listening to your podcast, and think you do a great job. And um, wish you the best of luck with this, and as well as your coaching endeavors. And um, uh, appreciate you uh, reaching out, wanting to to speak with me today. Thank you so much, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and you can even follow us on Twitter at CreativeCoach47. Thank you.